Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, September 26th. Both the federal NDP and the Bloc Québécois are calling for the resignation of House of Commons Speaker Anthony Rota following the tribute to a Ukrainian Second World War vet who fought for Nazi Germany. We get details on the continuing fallout from the incident from Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of The West Block. Next, we learn about the resources available for those fleeing violence at home from Kim Ruse, CEO of Fear Is Not Love, formerly known as the Calgary Women's Shelter. And finally, there's something in the air. And if you suffer from allergies, get your off-brand Kleenex handy. We get a forecast on just how severe this year's allergy season might be from Dr. Miriam Hanna, pediatric allergist and host of the new podcast, The Allergist. House of Commons Speaker Anthony Rota is in hot water following the honouring of a Ukrainian World War II veteran who turns out fought for Nazi Germany. Joining us to discuss this and the latest news from the capital is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Hi, Mercedes. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. I mean, this is getting a lot of attention and obviously it should. How does something like this even happen? Is the speaker falling on his sword? Do you think the rest of the government knew about this? You know, I mean, this is really the question everyone's asking is how is it that people were able to so quickly uncover this man's past and, and the speaker and the government didn't do so? That The speaker is saying that this is 100% his fault. He is taking responsibility for having not detected this. Um, the government has said, including Mr. Trudeau, said they found it profoundly embarrassing, which I'm sure is true. Uh, but people are questioning why there wasn't more of a background check there in terms of, you know, anyone who was going to be on the floor of the House of Commons during this event. Um, there are calls for the Speaker's resignation by the Bloc uh, and, and uh, the NDP who are saying that he should step down. Uh, and then the government sort of came under further fire yesterday because Karina Gould, a cabinet minister, rose in Parliament and sort of called for this moment to be a Raced. And the government's perspective was, you know, the recognition was problematic, so it should just be stricken from the record. The Tories said, no way are we going to allow you to strike that from the record and pretend it didn't happen. We're keeping it on there. We're going to hold you accountable. So uh, this debacle continues. Anthony Rota's future is unclear. The government certainly seems prepared to allow him to take 100% of the fall. And this he, by the way, of course, is a Liberal MP. The Speaker of the House is always a member of one party, but they act neutrally uh, and are elected by people to be on the House floor. So it, it's a, obviously a pretty devastating time for Anthony Rota personally uh, to have not only contributed to the recognition of, of a, a Nazi on the floor of the House of Commons, someone who, who fought for Nazi Germany, but also that this is fed into the international disinformation campaign that Russia is running against Ukraine, claiming they're there for the denazification of Ukraine. And then layer on top of that, the fact that Vladimir Zelensky who was in the House of Commons at the time, is a Jewish man. Um, so there's just so many layers of sort of insult and injury on this one. And you look at the timing of this, Mercedes, couldn't be worse for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the federal Liberals in the sense that this happened, I believe, came in, coming down on Friday. Earlier in the week, it was the standoff with India uh, featuring Justin Trudeau. Do we have any further allegations regarding Prime Minister, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau's allegations? We don't have anything further really on the allegations, but we, we don't have a lot of additional details on 
um, what led Mr. Trudeau to make the decision to go public? And that's sort of one of the, the larger questions around all this. You'll notice if you look at the treatment between what happened with India and what happened with China is very different. Now, it's also a difference, to be fair, between what you're talking about a successive and common electoral interference that the Chinese have believed to be invest, uh, interfering in for years and the murder of a Canadian citizen on Canadian territory, which is um, an incredible breach of international sovereignty and very unusual, by the way, between democracies. Um, you, obviously, we all know that you hear about, for example, the U.S. Special Forces uh, going into, for example, Somalia, when there was cases where there was an American citizen who had been taken hostage and potentially killing people to get their citizen out. But to show up and assassinate um, is what what is essentially being alleged here, um, that is extremely uncommon between allies in particular. So there hasn't been a lot of additional information about what exactly the intelligence was, although we've seen reports that it was um, possibly interception of communications between diplomats. Um, and that, by the way, was believed to be uh, possibly part of how they need some of the information about China as well, that, that that is, you know, spying that happens from every country on every other country's diplomats. There was also uh, an allegation that there was human source intelligence. Those were published by the CBC. Uh, but the government has not commented any further on how they knew what they knew while they're making these pretty incredible allegations. And if you compare it against the China file, it's interesting to me because there was suggestions that the source in that or sources in that should be sent to jail for the rest of their lives. That was national security leak and the government wouldn't comment. So did they learn from that and they decided to get in front of that? Was there a political motivation here? Uh, was their hand forced by the fact that the Globe and Mail published the article? When you see the article published originally on the Globe and Mail's website, it has the strikethroughs and the edits and everything. It was obvious they were trying to move very quickly to get ahead of the government. Um, so there's a lot of questions around this one, but people are noticing the very different approach in the release of public information, and the government really hasn't accounted for um, what exactly that information was to prove the allegation or why they've chosen to, to address this so differently from um, what happened with China, other than to say that this is, you know, in their view, completely unprecedented in Canada and that the murder of a Canadian citizen rises to such a high level that they are willing to act. And then you have the more cynical allegations that it's related to diaspora politics mm. or that it was related simply to try to get ahead of the media story. I mean, but they, Trudeau must have, and when they say credible information, it must be like to the nth credible, right? Or he, you would think the prime minister would not have released something as damning as this and in the damage that it can be you know that can be done between these two countries so you know word is that it came it was information that came from the united states too so it, i mean there must be something behind it in order for him to release that info correct wouldn't you think well i mean it's it is hard to say because we haven't seen the info and, and as someone with a background in national security stuff i'm very reluctant to ever say what the info was if we haven't seen it ourselves we, we don't know i imagine uh, and certainly the sources I've spoken to in the government and in the national security community say that they believe the intelligence is credible. They believe it's real. However, note the wording around the intelligence, which is the important part. It's something that, by the way, Five Eyes allies have had concerns about. It wasn't that um, 
Indian intelligence agents killed someone in Canada is that there was a possible link, and they may have. Mm-hmm. Now, it's evolved as the week has gone on, and the intelligence may well have gotten stronger. But with the initial release, I was told by a 5 Eyes source the reason why we were not seeing more categoric condemnation from allies was because it was uh, may and potential versus did. Now, were they just couching their words very carefully to try to not completely blow up the relationship, which obviously did not uh, <laughs> result in being the case? Is it that they had so much circumstantial evidence that, well, they couldn't say certainly they were confident to go with it? I do know the national security establishment in Canada was very confident that the information that they had was accurate, but that information was basically a strong possibility. Mm. Um, there's also the realpolitik of this. Uh, it is one thing to criticize China, which is a, a country that is extremely powerful and can have a serious effect, but all of the five eyes were aligned on China being problematic and China um, taking these steps, for example, like the two Michaels that were very overt, very provable, and so they worked in lockstep, and that was very powerful for Canada. We've had a very different experience with India, and that is because India is seen as the counterweight to China in that region. So countries like the United States are investing an immense amount of political capital and economic capital into developing a relationship with India to use it as a counterweight. So they're now in this difficult position where Canada is saying they killed one of our citizens, we think, on our own soil and saying, "Mm, but we also need this in our big strategic picture as a counterweight. So they're not going to have the same reaction publicly there. Um, And that has really left Canada isolated in a difficult position. If they believe that this country killed a citizen on Canadian territory, they have to say something strong. But it also leads to bigger questions the government hasn't answered yet. What happens to Canada's Indo-Pacific strategy? This is supposed to be our huge marquee foreign affairs strategy under the government, um, you now do not have a relationship with China or India. So it's going to be very difficult to execute that strategy. Very much so. And all within the background that we may see an election one day soon. And, uh, you know, the Liberals versus the Conservatives with the Liberals not polling well, all of this information could come home to roost for sure. Thank you so much for your time, Mercedes. Always appreciate chatting with you. Thanks for having me. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. What supports and resources are available to those fleeing domestic violence and abuse as the numbers continue to rise year over year? Well, introducing the new name of the Calgary Women's Emergency Shelter, Fear Is Not Love. And joining us to talk about it is Kim Roos, CEO of Fear Is Not Love. Good morning, Kim. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for joining us. We have to continue talking about this. We've seen and heard about the numbers continuing to climb through the pandemic and beyond about domestic violence across our country. So do we have any national statistics in terms of numbers in Canada? Well, we know that every six days in Canada, a woman is killed by her partner or former partner. And we know that in Alberta, at least, well, across Canada, one in two women from the age of 16 will experience domestic or sexual violence. And locally, uh, we know uh, that there are about 30,000 calls to police in Calgary alone every year for domestic violence calls. Wow, in- incredible. So, so let's talk about how you rise to meet this demand with fear is not love. Uh, what, what is the process? I mean, how much more can you do? Well, we've had to scale quite a bit through the pandemic. We've grown significantly, unfortunately, over the last few years. Uh, Last year, we served over 19,000 people. And so donations and community support became really important for us to be able to expand to meet that increasing need. During the pandemic, at the very beginning, we saw things sort of uh, get really quiet, which is a bit eerie and and frightening. Mm -hmm. 
And that was more because of the way that we needed to keep ourselves safe from the virus. And so people were staying at home, but family dynamics changed, rates started to increase uh, as well, and they really haven't come back down since then. Kim, can you tell us why? Why change the name from the Calgary Women's Emergency Shelter? Why change it to Fear is Not Love? Well, uh, we're of reviewing our, our stakeholder engagement and looking at how we were seen in the community. And what came back to us from our clients in particular was that our name was a problem. Uh, we're not just Calgary, so we serve Alberta-wide with some of our programs. We don't work with just women. In fact, our main client group is children. We're not just for emergencies. And so often our clients would, before they would call us, they would go, well, I don't want to bother them. Like, maybe it's not an emergency. And so they would actually avoid calling us until it was an emergency and we're not just a shelter so last year alone we had about 700 women and children and pets come through the shelter and uh, we served another 18 to 19,000 people through our counseling and outreach services so um, the name was while it was had great recognition it really was a program within a bigger agency and so we have kept the Calgary Women's Emergency Shelter as a program and then the overarching name of the agency is changed and that's really intended to help people see themselves in our services and call us at a sooner point. Kim, you mentioned an example there through the eyes of somebody who would be using your services, mm-hmm. a client, if you will. But how can everyday Calgarians help in the fight against domestic violence? What can we do? What should we be watching for when it comes to maybe neighbors, coworkers, family, yeah. or friends? Yeah, well, definitely. I actually think the most important um, sort of tool we have uh, to deal with domestic violence is our community. It's each other. And so I would encourage people to learn about what does abuse look like? How can you recognize it and see it in your friends, your family, your neighbors, your colleagues, you know, and, and then learn how to respond to people. So one of the best things that people can do is be a great social supporter. So listen to those who are disclosing, whether it's someone who's using abuse or someone who's experiencing it, and be that supportive ear. And know that you don't have to have all the answers. You can call our helpline. You can call other services and resources that will help you connect them to necessary supports. And so really, we talked about recognize, respond, refer. So recognize what's happening. Reach out. Be talking to people. Connect with your neighbors if you're worried about them. Respond in a social supportive way and then connect them to resources. Kim, you talked about kids being the biggest group that you mm-hmm. actually deal with. So I really love the fear is not love name. Yeah. Are you teaching the kids then what that means and, and what what they should be looking for as they move into relationships in their world? Absolutely. Oh, of course. Yes. So we have a, a large program in Calgary schools. We're actually in 23 schools. And we're working with adolescents who are at that point where they're, you know, they're entering relationships, dating relationships, and they're not too sure, you know, is this abuse, is this not? And the, you know, fear is not love is a really nice way to make it very clear to them. You know, my own daughters, when we were first changing the name, she was having an experience where, you know, she was trying to figure that out for herself. And she just looked at me and she said, Mom, she goes, fear is not love. And I went, you got it. Nailed it. Incredible there. Let's talk about, you know, the process. Because like like you mentioned, Kim, I think Mm -hmm. as cliche as it is, the uh, journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. What Mm -hmm. about the the discretion portion? If I want to reach out or maybe have some questions, maybe I find myself in a situation I've never been in before. How does it work to to, to reach out and find out about the resources? Well, you can call us at 403-234-SAFE which is 7233. We actually also have a men's helpline number and um, and we, you can text, email or call us. It's 
totally private and anonymous. You can call and ask those questions. Even if you're worried about someone else and not yourself, you can explore that with a counselor. Um, our lines are staffed by trained um, professionals that can answer your questions. And um, and yeah, and just and you can call back as many times as you need or as many times as you want. We know that people often, you know, by the time they pick up the phone, they've usually searched online. They've usually, you know, talked to some people. And so we know that by the time they pick up that phone, that call is really important. But if you even have the smallest question, you can call that line and they will help you. 403-234-SAFE, is that the number? Yes. yes. What if it, you're beyond that point and it's a it's a now situation? You know, what do, what do we do? How do we help somebody or if there's a woman listening and, and is in that situation? Well, if you're in urgent risk, we always encourage you to call 911. Um, and But if you've got time or are not an immediate risk, you can call um, our number as well, and we will connect you with the resources that you need. Incredible. Hey, so what can somebody else do, for example, if they're, if they're listening to this program? Maybe they had a history, and maybe it is the shelter, the Calgary Women's Emergency Shelter, that's, that's helped them out in the past, and they want to give back. Can people donate? What's that sort of process? Well, they can absolutely donate. Uh, right now, we have the Shoppers Campaign going on, which is the Giving Shelter fundraising, fundraising Campaign. So at all shoppers, you can donate at, the, at your checkout, and that money comes directly to shelters. And there's 40 shelters locally that are giving to us, and last year they raised about $98,000. You can also go to our website and donate there, which is fearsnotlove.ca. Um, and if you want to donate your time or support us in other ways, you can reach out to us at our main number, and, um, and we will connect you with a way to give back with your talent and your time. We need to pay attention to those numbers and uh, continue the conversation. Thanks so much for joining us, Kim. Really appreciate you. Thank you very much for having me on. Thanks. Kim Roo, CEO of Fear Is Not Love. Again, it's fearisnotlove.ca, calgarywomensshelter.com, and that phone number to remember, 403-234-SAFE. Oh, my nose is so stuffed up. Fall is in the air, and so is the pollen. Joining us to help you navigate fall allergy season is Dr. Miriam Hanna, pediatric allergist and host of the Canadian Society of Allergy and Clinical Immunology's new podcast called The Allergist. Good morning, Dr. Hanna. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Sorry about the mouthful first thing in the morning. <laughs> that is a good one. That's a good title for sure. Thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Is this going to be a, a, a particularly bad year? And, and what does that mean when we say bad year for allergies? You know what? It seems like year in, year out, we talk about bad year for allergies. Um, we, we're seeing longer pollen seasons, warmer weather that kind of hits us earlier and lingers for a bit longer. So those pollen counts really do go up higher when our weather is warmer for longer. And so those that suffer with allergies will feel their symptoms for a bit longer and just a bit more than their usual. Dr. Hannah, are all falls the same? Do they follow a same pattern or are there different allergens that we can see depending on the year? Yeah, um, from spring as you roll into fall, the different types of plants will grow and pollinate at different times. So our early pollinators are typically trees, then followed by grass. We get a bit of a lull time kind of during the warm summer months, but then invariably the weeds start to pick up in the fall. Regions like where I'm at in Ontario, we get a particular kind of weed called ragweed. Um, that started to spread its domain and where it grows into like extending further west and further east than it usually has. But typically where you guys are at in Alberta, you'll get lots of different weeds that'll pollinate um, during this time in the fall mm -hmm. months until we get our first hard frost. 
Okay, and then that sort of puts an end to it. What about people who are struggling right now then before that frost comes? How do you deal with people? Sort of, is there just, is there good over-the-counter stuff or are we better to go to a doctor and ask for something? Yeah, we have a number of different options that are available over-the-counter. Seasonal allergies, it feels like a terrible head cold that you can imagine will linger for weeks on end. So it's hard to be productive during the day, get a good night's rest, feel comfortable when going outside or even on those nice fall walks you can you can feel a lot of symptoms so there are a lot of over-the-counter options that are um, readily available so your non-sedating antihistamines so those are things like your reactin claritin areas allegra all those are available over the counter name brand and generics there are some salt water sprays as well as some medicated nose sprays that are available over the counter and there's some allergy eye drops relief. So it really depends on kind of the degree of symptoms or how much somebody's being impacted by their allergies as to what makes the best sense. I often prefer, you know, they start by talking to a healthcare provider just to make sure that they're on the right path and that they get the appropriate medications, be it over-the-counter or prescription, to help them get through this season. Dr. Hannah, on this program, I've, I've learned when we've talked about allergies in the past that someone can have allergies their entire life or later in life discover that they've acquired an allergy. So I'm wondering, at what point do we know that I've crossed the threshold between a, you know, a common cold or just being a little stuffy and that I actually have allergies? How do I have to determine that? Yeah, um, sometimes it's to do with the seasonality. If there's a particular time of year where you always have certain symptoms, then we start to be suspicious, especially if it happens more than one season in a row, right? So we exclude the fact that it was just a one-off cold. Others are by how long your symptoms last for, and finally through testing to confirm, right? So you have the typical symptoms during weed season or weed pollen season, and you have positive skin tests, and those symptoms have occurred for two or more seasons in a row, then we know you've definitely had those allergies. Allergy is something that affects so many people. You and the Canadian Society of Allergy and Clinical Immunology are launching a new podcast. Tell us about The Allergist. Oh, it's, a, it's an exciting endeavor that we are taking on through the Canadian Society. The world of allergies has changed so rapidly. I'd say the last 10 or 20 years, it's been exploding in terms of people that have been diagnosed with allergies, but also the different things that we can do in terms of management. This podcast is really to try to connect the allergist with with physicians and with healthcare providers as well as with patients really to get an idea of the most latest and greatest in terms of evidence and guidelines and kind of treatment options that are now available at your fingertips so you know as an example lots of people are interested in seasonal allergies when we're in the brunt of the season and how can we just get some relief but as you said Allergies can happen for years on end and we can do immunotherapy to train your body to be less allergic and need less medications and have less symptoms. That's where all the evidence is moving towards and we need to get that into the public's hands to get informed. So great points and I just the season I guess so uh, very timely. That's uh, Sue in the background. (laughs) Thanks so much Dr. Hannah we appreciate your time this morning. My absolute pleasure. Have a great rest of your day and hope you're feeling better. Thanks, you as well. <laughs> Thanks. It's Dr. Mariam Hanna, pediatric allergist and host of the new podcast, The Allergist.
Canada may be known for its landscapes and friendly people, but beneath the surface lies a darker side of crime, history, and the paranormal. Since 2017, the award-winning Dark Poutine podcast has explored the shadowy corners of the Great White North and beyond, delivering chilling tales from a uniquely Canadian perspective. Hosted by Mike Brown and Matthew Stockton with over 300 episodes and fresh releases every Monday, Dark Poutine is your weekly ticket to the creepier side of Canada. Listen to Dark Poutine on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.